Holy Gospel according to Luke, the third chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. The one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. By way of getting fully into our Gospel text from Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 15, it actually helps to back up a little bit to Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 1, where we first meet the man who will be known and remembered still today as John the Baptist, a man whose mission, according to all four gospel writers, was to prepare the world for and turn the world toward the coming of Jesus into the world. We read that first portion of Luke 3, the part about John doing what he did, every year um, in Advent, but it's kind of helpful to recall it now as well, I think, because Advent can sometimes be a little bit overly colored by soft tinted hues of preparation for that soft skinned and softly gently swaddled baby soon to come into the world at Christmas. But in fact, John who, by the way, was not ever once in his entire life described with either the words soft or gentle, John did not say the things he said in the first part of Luke chapter 3 in preparation for a baby who was coming. He said them 30 years later about the fully grown, and judging by John's tone of voice, ready to take no prisoners, Messiah, who was coming. So John didn't say... Practice singing your Christmas lullabies until he gets here. No, no, my goodness, no. What John said was, shape up. And shape up good before he gets here. Or else. And so, says Luke, John baptized people. More than Luke could could even count. He baptized all kinds of people with what is described as a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, that word repentance meaning one, acknowledging that you are a sinner, and that word repentance two, meaning knock it off. Stop sinning. Stop sinning because, and now we've gotten to our text for today, because I baptize you with just plain old Jordan River water. But the Messiah, when he gets here, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
And he is surely not going to have baby toys in his hands. He's going to have a winnowing fork in his hands. A winnowing fork being what you used when you were harvesting wheat. And you wanted to separate the kernels of wheat, the good stuff, the junk, that the, the, the good stuff that was worth saving from the chaff, the bad stuff, the junk that you don't save, which the only thing it's worth is a bonfire. Shape up and shape up good, John said, because when the Messiah gets here, he will gather the good, he will gather the wheat into his granary, and the chaff, the stuff that's not worth saving, that he will burn, says John, with unquenchable fire. Okay, now wait a minute, right? Does this mean what it sounds like what it means? Because what it sounds like, what it means is what, what, a, like what a lot of people who tell me they are Christian tell me that Christianity means, or at least act like Christianity means, what it means according to them being that there are good people in the world and there are bad people in the world and that Jesus, the Messiah, when he comes, is going to reward the good people for being so good and for not being like, for being way better than other people in the world and that that granary, therefore, is actually this place where the good stuff goes, the stuff that's worth saving. That granary, therefore, is kind of a metaphor for heaven someday, when, when someday the, the, the saved stuff will go to be gathered. But in the meantime, that granary is also kind of a metaphor for the church today, where, where good people go, good people who used to be sinners, but then they got saved, they aren't sinners anymore, now gather to be good while they wait for Jesus to come do what he's going to do, come reward them for their goodness. Reward <clears throat> them for their used to be a sinner, but I'm not anymore because I got saved-ness. But as far as the rest of the folks go, those who aren't in the church, those who are still unbelievers, those who still sin because they aren't saved, well, when Jesus comes, those poor losers are going to have hell to pay. Which, if that's what this passage means, means that how this text addresses us depends on which one of the two, wheat or chaff, each one of us is. I'll start. Let me be the judge. Yeah. And let me answer to the judge. <coughs> Roger, who is wheat and who is chaff around here? I am. No, seriously, Roger, which one are you, wheat or chaff? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, smart Alec, if that's how you want to be when it comes to, to you, let's judge other people, because I've seen my church, they're good at judging other people. So, Roger, look at all the other people out here. Are they, do you see wheat or chaff? Yes, yes, I do. Which are which? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> so your turn. Have I lost you or have I described you? Do you see others, and for that matter see yourself, as either wheat or chaff, as either good or bad, as either something worthwhile or something worthless? as either worth saving or not? 
Or do you see yourself and others the way I believe God surely sees us all? Wheat and chaff, saint and sinner, by all means, not perfect, but perfectly, and by perfectly I mean oh so powerfully loved, by a God who created you to be you, and who loves you to be you, and who loves you for forever, but who loves you so much, loves you enough, loves you so powerfully, completely, beautifully much that God won't let you, not for forever anymore, be one bit less than who you were created to be. And how do I know that God sees you like that no matter how this wheat and chaff thing first sounds at first blush? Because, of course, John the Baptist is not the only one in Luke chapter 3, and he's not even the, old, the most important one, Luke chapter 3, and according to him, himself, he's not even close to the most important one in Luke chapter 3, the most important one being, according to him, the one who came after him, and who, in the last part of our text from Luke 3 today came out in the wilderness to him and who with all those others, with all those sinners was to baptize by John who did baptize people with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now of course that one, if you like thinking about things, this is something to think about. That one, Jesus, Christians believe, was without sin. So what in the world was he doing there? Why, beside John, knee-deep in the Jordan, was he kneeling there? Well, look closely. It doesn't say. Matthew adds one comment. John asks Jesus, what in the world are you doing here? And Jesus said, it's the right thing to do, which, you know what, doesn't really help. What's John doing there? Don't know, doesn't say, God only knows. But here's what I think. Kneeling in the waters of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. He was in fact kneeling in, bathed into, the mission which God had given him to the world to be about. The mission being forgiving the sin of sinners. Forgiving the sin of us. Forgiving the sin of you. Sin which, in however it is that the holy and saving mystery of redemption actually works. That's a mystery too. But sin which, the muddy, murky chaffiness of which, he would not just kneel in, to be washed into, but would also strap to his back. His back which later would be backed up on and nailed to a cross, a cross from which he would say of sinners, Father, forgive them. And then he would die, descend into hell, some versions of the creeds say, hell being a place where, some say literally, chaff, will be burned by unquenchable fire, descend to the dead. Other versions of the creed say dead 
of course, being the place where the dead are dead, and some say literally stay that way. Both versions of the creed, of course, ultimately say the same thing, that being that neither what sin and sinners do to life in the world, which, by the way, is to make a hell of a mess of it, or what death does to life in the world, which, of course, is to take it from us, neither sin nor death nor the grave nor hell have what it takes to take all whom God loves from the cleansing and healing and fiery, passionate power of God's life-giving and forgiving love. Which takes us to the end of the story where two things happened that had actually never happened when John had ever baptized anybody else. The Spirit of God, in the form of a dove, visibly descended on Jesus. And then a voice, a voice from heaven, a voice which it's hard to know for sure who actually heard it, even if you read really carefully. But it seems pretty clear that John heard it, and it seems pretty obvious that Jesus heard it. A voice said to Jesus and said of Jesus, You are my beloved, my son. And then Jesus got up perfectly to begin the work of being who God gave him to the world to be. And perfectly to begin doing what God gave him to the world to do all the way as all the way to a cross and to hell and death and Easter. He would be God's saving love for the world. For you and for me for forever to hell and back. Which takes us to one last place. That being the waters of your baptism. Waters most of us don't even remember, of course, because most of us were a baby then. Babies being people we nevertheless baptize, believing that just as mothers and fathers on earth don't wait a until a child is old enough to understand, to say to that child, I love you, I always will, you are my child. So, too, God the Father doesn't wait until a child is old enough to understand to say in the waters of baptism, I love you, I always will, you are my child. Now, being the father or mother of a child in this world, of course, no matter how cute and perfect she looked when she was born, will at times because she will not every moment of her life be perfectly good. It will mean needing to forgive her in order for the relationship to be everything it's meant to be. She, of course, because her parents won't be perfect either, will at times need to forgive us in order for our relationship to be everything it's meant to be. And the waters of baptism, though if you were a baby then, you were of course so darn cute, nobody even wanted to think about or talk about sin. God, knowing all that God knows about us all, that being that we will all prove our proficiency in the ways of both wheat and chaff, promised you, even before you knew your need for such, that in order for God's relationship to be with you what God means it to be, God did, and God would, and God will, and God will again forgive your sins. 
Because why? Because thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my sight and honored. And I love you. So, so honestly, honestly, and by honestly, I mean owning the chaff that is your chaff. Repent. Turn honestly, chaff and all, every day to the forgiving love of the Father and the Son, and then daily with the Spirit rising from the waters of the grace you are bathed in, honestly, to be who you are. And who you are is a child of God, <coughs> given to the world because God had in mind that one thing the world needed was one of you. We're going to end today's sermon on this baptism of our Lord Sunday with a rite of affirmation of baptism. It is printed in your bulletins. I invite you to stand. enlightened us with the gifts of your spirit and nourished us in the community of faith. Uphold us all, all your servants, in the gifts and promises of baptism and unite the hearts of all whom you have brought to new birth. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I ask you to profess your faith in Christ Jesus, to reject sin and confess the faith of the church, the faith in which you were baptized. You renounce the devil and all forces that defy God. I renounce them. You renounce the powers of this world that rebel against God. I renounce them. You renounce the ways of sin that draw you from God. I renounce them. You believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to death. On the third day he rose again. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. You believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You have made public profession of your faith. Do you intend to continue in the covenant God made with you in holy baptism to live among God's faithful people, to hear the word of God and to share in the Lord's Supper, to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed, to serve all people following the example of Jesus?
and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth. I do, and I ask God to help and guide me. People of God, you promise to support and pray for one another in your life in Christ. We, we do, do, and we ask God to help and guide us. Let us pray. We give you thanks, O oh God, that through water and the Holy Spirit you give us new birth, cleanse us from sin, and raise us to eternal life. Stir up in your people the gift of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of joy in your presence, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. 